Welcome to episode 87 of Friends of Film, a podcast that says new news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover First Man's cast, Caprio as the Joker, what we want from Star Wars, and more after review Wind River. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Gruber Hood, once again joined by a man satisfied with the Game of Thrones Season 7 finale, Josh Straley. It was... It had. It wasn't so much as like a punch to the face, as much as it was letting the curtain back and saying, yeah. "Here is everything we've done. Now go have fun." Yeah. Now, now wait two years to see how it all ends. <laughs> two is it two years? I don't know. No, they're, I, they're talking about having to wait till twenty nineteen to see the final six episodes. Oh my gosh, it's a long time. Oh, it's. I mean, I think it'll be worth it. I hope so. The thing, even if it is that long of a wait, even if it's a year. Mm-hmm. I am now, since I'm all caught up on the show, I'm just looking forward to rewatching it. Sure. <laughs> Knowing everything instead of like doing the binge fashion that I did it, where I was just like, I got to figure out everything and just not have time to theorize and catch little hints and everything else. Everybody else already figured it out. Yes. I was like, oh, okay, this is all new to me. Oh, well, that sucks though, because you're at the point now where you've missed all that. And yeah. Everything else, like everything has been tied up. Basically. So. But, but it's it's I, it's it's still enjoyable. It'll be enjoyable to watch it all fall back into place again. Yes, yes, That's it will. Way to say it. But yeah, uh, we are going to be reviewing Wind River this week, the latest directorial effort by Taylor Sheridan. I found out that it's not actually his directorial debut as I thought it was. He did like a smaller film oh, a couple years thriller. ago. Yeah, I didn't know that. But so it's not his directorial debut, but it is his like first. I think kind of. His biggest one to mm-hmm. date, for sure, ever since kind of stepping onto the scene with Sicario and Hello High Water as the writer. Um, and it's my turn to start this week. If we dive into spoilers on the film, we may uh, just to discuss the third act and kind of how it all, the mystery of this whole movie plays out. Uh, we will have a timestamp in the description of this episode so you guys can skip ahead to the news. But otherwise, I'll start with my review just by saying this was really an excellent effort from all parties involved. Uh, Taylor Sheridan makes this film in a way that it it is a slow burn but it also it it he uses that to have it constantly build until the finale where you're just like there's a there's a point where the movie kind of switches and then it's kind of it's notched from a seven to a ten in like a split second and you're you're kind of caught off guard but it's it really makes that moment that much more impactful as an audience member but I mean, the the majority of this movie falls on shoulder, shoulders of Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. I think Renner gives a great, quiet performance. Uh, it's not he's not as out there and you know like bombastic as he was in like Hurt Locker. So it's hard to say whether or not this is I think his best performance compared to that. But it's definitely up there. But I think I can say um, with pretty much absolute certainty that this is Olsen's best performance, just because she gets. The leading lady treatment, she is allowed to um, you know, take control of situations, but also she is kind of looked at as like, oh, you're just some young, you know, hotshot, like mm-hmm. CIA agent, like, or FBI, like, that's not going to fly. Uh, people are always questioning her authority, and then it's, all, it's about her just kind of coming to terms with that and just being like, it doesn't matter what they're saying, I know I can do it, and kind of stepping up when she has to, to really make those those decisions that she needs to, to progress the case further. And uh, I mean, it is, it's a thrilling movie because it is about, you know, uh, Jeremy Renner finding this um, native American that had died in the cold in the middle of a snowstorm. And then uh, Elizabeth Olsen gets brought into the situation as the federal agent to try to work. And then they end up working together to figure it all out Uh, because of that. And because just the winding story that it tells it is, there's a lot of tension because you don't ever really know 
up until it's really revealed like who did it Mm -hmm. uh how it all played out but then like i said once they kind of make that reveal uh the movie takes a drastic just turn up and it just uh it just completely changes but it still also it doesn't feel like that big of a tonal shift where it threw me out of the movie at any point um i think personally with this movie and building off his work with Sicario and Hell or High Water, uh, Taylor Sheridan has cemented himself in my mind as somebody that I'm going to seek out every project he does from here on out. Um, kind of like you know, with Denny over the last couple of years, he has made himself that kind of a name in my book, and I think Sheridan has done that as well. With this, I have no real flaws with the movie because I was just const- I was engaged with it. I was in the movie the whole time, and. It never really felt like there was a down point. I loved the th- like the third act and how it kind of plays out. It plays out differently okay. than I would have anticipated, but hmm. it also felt like the natural way for it all to go down. So uh, because of all that, I'm going to give it five ticket stubs out of five. Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll start off in saying I did thoroughly enjoy the movie. Um, Sicario is probably one of my favorite action movies uh to date right now not just because denny but because the film follows a non-traditional storytelling way the the good guys win if you can say that but also the, the film just ends with um you seeing you know emily emily blunt emily blunt thank you emily blunt just in such a dark place and uh, everyone else is just saying, but th- that's how things go out here. Would you expect? And that's, you know, the situation at the border. And, you know, the, I thought that was so cool. And that's what Sheridan does here with Wind River. It, it's that same kind of storytelling. Instead of being um, in, I guess, Texas is where they were or Arizona um, in uh, Sicario. Oh yeah, okay. They're talking about Wind River. They're in, like, they're in the opposite side of the country. They're mm-hmm. in Wyoming on uh, Indian reservation, as, as large as Rhode Island and Delaware put together. Wind River, uh, and it is just like Sicario. Um, beautiful, quiet. The landscapes just envelop the characters. How many wide shots of Jeremy Renner are there with the snowmobile oh, plowing so out around there? It is gorgeous. It is phenomenal. I. I, I, my breath was taken away multiple times just getting getting a glimpse of the scale that they did out there. Um, and this movie was based off of real events. It had, mm-hmm. or loosely based off of real events. It has some facts twisted and p- pulled around and when we get mm-hmm. to some spoiler talk, we'll mention that. But it also felt like a Twin Peaks episode. Um, it had this idea, the ideas of sat an FBI agent coming out of town and just trying to get a sense of what this community is about and how it operates. But instead of being about angsty teenagers and their hidden secrets, it's an Indian reservation where there's poverty and despair everywhere. And Elizabeth Olsen um, playing Jane Banner, the FBI agent is just seeing firsthand what this is all about after coming from Fort Lauderdale, you Mm -hmm. know, one of the, like the vacation hotspots to like, you know, one of the more, uh, desolate places, you know, that the country has. I mean, the um, Sheridan kind of makes a point to show us that they're unemployed, and so a lot of them are drug-addled, and um, yeah, it really catches you in the gut with like you know a right hook, and it's just like, oh man, okay. And like you said, we we see the story play out, and um, uh, Kelsey Chow, I guess, is the girl that um, 
who ends up dead. That's mm-hmm. who Jeremy Renner finds. And there's a really great moment where I think, I don't know if Renner technically counts as a supporting actor in this film, but if he does, I would put him right up there for you know a nomination because him and Gil Birmingham, um, Kelsey Chow's character's father, they have maybe four or five minutes of screen time together mm-hmm. and they're talking through the deaths of their daughters out there on the reservation. And Renner uh, is just impossibly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it is it an exaggeration to say that the camera lingers on him uncut for maybe 60 seconds or so? I don't like, think so. Yeah, it was just, it was so good. And, so, and that's what you said, like this slow burn. And then eventually once we get to the action point, that's kind of where I got taken out of it. Okay. You said it goes from seven to ten. Yeah, I say the movie's at a solid five. Okay, building starting at a one, you know, and building mm-hmm. there, and then it kicks it to ten. Yeah, uh, we get this super fast push shot across a, a snowy peak. The cars are flying down the road, and then we get up to um, our apex, and it, that part is great, and everything from there is great, but. I don't know. It just felt really, it was jarring. Okay. But that's, that was the situation. So I was fine with that. And then also when we talk in the spoilers, I did not appreciate one storytelling element. Um, I liked what they did okay. to get to there, but they chose to portray something that I thought was just kind of uh, distasteful. Uh, and I thought there probably could have been a better way to get that out. Um, but we can talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But all of that said, uh, I I really like the movie, and I would give it four out of five ticket stubs. All right, there we go. Um, okay, so yeah, we'll just move into spoilers here. So if you have not seen Wind River, uh, just skip ahead until the get to the news section. But uh, from here on out, we will be discussing spoilers for Wind River. Obviously, we already have recommended it basically based <laughs> on our scores. So. If you haven't seen it, go check it out and then come back to the spoiler section. So, uh, what what part do you want to tackle first? Uh, can I talk about the part that I just thought was yeah. out there? Well, when they get to the refinery, mm-hmm. the facility, there is first of all an epic Mexican standoff. Yes, I, like how good was that? It was great. Uh, just everyone yelling at each other and like I I literally thought it was going to end there. That's what I thought too. And that would be just like another stunning ending that mm-hmm. Sheridan, you know, writes. Yes. But it didn't go like that. Everyone calmed down. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, mm-hmm. we're good. And then Elizabeth Olsen raps on the door of a bunking camper. Mm-hmm. And then we get a delightful surprise. John Bernthal's yeah. in this movie. Get a flashback sequence. Yeah. And him and Kelsey Chow and that whole thing was delightful. I, I really appreciated it. It took me for a loop because this movie builds Bernthal's character Pete up in subtle ways like he's just a total jerk yeah like he's someone from off reservation that is uh, a complete butt and it doesn't turn out that way that's Mm -hmm. not the side we got to see oh yeah because up to that point he is basically portrayed as oh he's the culprit he's the guy that you know Mm -hmm. is probably the one that you know raped and killed this girl but then at the same time we see jeremy renner's exploring the forest and he finds i think that's when he finds the dead body right or is that did that happen before they yeah that happens prior to okay yeah. 
um, because they see he sees the offload of the That's skis right. and they yes. find yeah okay the body yeah. yeah well anyway after we get through all of that um, we start to see the crime happen uh, which is his buddies come back from drinking out of town mm-hmm. and they end up beating Bernthal and then they rape her mm-hmm. and I just I don't know of a way to get around it or I mean yeah. I think the power of suggestion would it could have been more powerful than um, letting the act play out how they did on screen the rape and I just I just didn't think that was um, a great idea that's, yeah, that's but, fair I mean I personally I didn't think it was like it, it, it didn't last very long yeah and it wasn't very graphic it was mm-hmm. basically just a shot of the girl's face as it was happening mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously terrible to see but right. it, it's an easier way to show what's happening without actually just showing the physical act right oh of um, course and so from that point i was like okay it's i mean it's never you know good to see that sort of stuff but i thought if i felt like they had to include it to make those those group of co-workers that was working with Bernthal make them so despicable so that way when the huge gunfight plays out at the end and then ultimately when Renner finds the one mm-hmm. that did uh, rape her and then the fate that he bestows to her to him uh, it felt like they deserved it that much more because I saw just a glimpse of what they were actually capable of yeah okay it just I it it bugged me. Yeah, that, I mean, that's totally I fair. Won't, I won't hammer him for it because yeah. also her escape was wrapped up in Bernthal regaining consciousness mm-hmm. and uh, at least allowing her to give her a chance to run those six miles, which uh, it's crazy. Comes, yeah, which is crazy. But also when it comes back around in the end with Renner, yes. um, I loved that part. But also in there was Renner acting sort of vigilante esque. Sure. Little, um, but he was also. I felt like he was he, he was doing that though to because of the promise he made to her dad. Yeah, where he basically is like, "I'm giving you the same odds you gave her. It's all about what you're made of." And I loved that sort of that little premise of it. And then the fact that yeah, he basically he's like, "I bet you won't make it 600 feet," and he collapses probably within 100. Yeah, and dies. If that part is true, I I will be all about that. I'm, I don't know how. I don't. It can't. If it, if totally it wasn't true. true, yeah, that's where it's just like, okay, maybe that's maybe that's being a little too having that's a little bit too much justice porn for. I, I, I'm film gu- to yeah, do. I'm guessing that's sort of just like the legend around Wind River or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I, I've heard this is what happens, kind of like mm-hmm. you know, at the end of like War Dogs. Oh yeah, they're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, here they get away with it. And you're like, this is based on a true story. If everybody knows they got away with it, then wouldn't they be arrested? And yes. they're not. So, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where. I don't think they actually have, there's no definitive proof about it because they maybe they never found the body of that one guy or whatever. So mm-hmm. they just kind of had freedom to do whatever they want. But in this case, yeah, that kind of veering away from the truth didn't really bother me at all. Yeah. If, if it was, you know, the yes, if that is, truth, yeah, I can't confirm or deny that. Though. Right. But I did, that, that did in that exchange, I thought I had one of my favorite lines of the movie where, the guy just like he's just crying and sobbing because he has frostbite all over his feet and he knows he's pretty much going to die. Uh, and he's just like, "Come on, man!" Like he's talking to Renner, like just you know, give me a chance, you know, save me, help me out. Like it's just snow and silence up here, and 
it's hard not to just be driven crazy by it. And I just, I just kind of love that sort of that theme that like everybody's kind of blamed everybody that you see that has problems in that movie is like always blaming like the, their surroundings about it. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, it's, it's just because, you know, we're in Wyoming where it's just snow and there's nothing to do around here. So that's why, you know, there's no girls. That's why I took advantage of her. You know, that's why i made these other decisions. That's why I'm doing, that's why I'm doing and selling drugs is because there's no other, opportunities out here for me it's like that's not the case but i just i kind of love that kind of just sort of commentary yeah it was very it was super thematic and um we get we get the the guess post credits not post credits but the ending scenes there uh Mm -hmm. ending um slide titles yes uh and they drop some you know some startling statistics on you i mean just like the the ratio of crime that goes out there i think it's like 80 percent was that what it was that said like women native american women get or have some kind of violence in their lives yeah well then it's like yeah just like kind of the ending where it's just like it's just renner and then the girl's father just sitting there Mm -hmm. looking off in the distance and there's kind of like they kind of showed the kind of the differences in american lives versus those of native americans and it's just like there's all these records about you know American kidnappings, violence, all that sort of stuff, but there's no historical record of any of that stuff for Native Americans. So then they kind of just leave it on the, the statement that there's really no way to know how many people have been lost over the years. And like that's kind of astounding to think about that there's never been that sort of like implementation of some sort of like justice system or yeah. a track record system or anything. Like that just kind of that kind of blew my mind. And we see that presented early on in the movie too, because Elizabeth Olsen is just so she's knowledgeable, but she's also blown away by just how they operate out there mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, th- what she, well, like, first of all, we see like what she needs from the corner on the reservation to call it a homicide mm-hmm. because if not the feds and everyone else will just turn their heads and yeah. nothing she says is going to, get them to interfere there mm-hmm. because we allow them to set up their own courts and government. So we can, at least what the movie suggests is turn a blind eye to mm-hmm. it. And you see all that come across there and yeah, it's just uh, startling in the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do you have any other thoughts on wind river? I just have a shout out because I had to Google his name, but Ben Richardson was the cinematographer here, and he did a fantastic job. Do you have any of uh, any of his other credits by chance? Fault in Our Stars okay. and Table Nineteen are two of the more prominent oh. ones. <laughs> my sister, like my sister's, just rented Table Nineteen last night. I watched it. I did not see it, so I have no idea if it's good or not. Well, my sister said that this movie is. She said this movie is butt. That was her direct quote. <laughs> is it B-U-T-T? B-U-T-T. <laughs> so, it's got Anna Kendrick and Stephen Merchant in there. I know. As, and it has um, Wyatt Russell and yeah. Tony Ravaloria. It has a lot of great people, but I don't know. Apparently, it just wasn't, it wasn't for her. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, that's those are our thoughts on Wind River. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news. And our first bit of news we got this week is the final addition to the cast of First Man, Damien Chazelle's next directorial effort. Joining Ryan Gosling in the role this this week, it was announced that it would be John Bernthal. But previously, 
since we haven't really covered any other castings, figured we'd just kind of do a, a roundup of all the casting news so far. So Claire Foy from The Crown is going to be playing Ryan Gosling's uh, wife in the film. And then the other astronauts along with Gosling and Bernthal will be Corey Stoll, Kyle Chandler, Jason Clark, and Shay Wiggum. So uh, I'm obviously a big fan of La La Land and Whiplash. Whiplash to maybe a slightly more degree. Um, but that's just because of personal preference, I think. So, mm-hmm. uh but I think it's still safe to say that this is his best cast assembled to date so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Corey Stoll, terrific in House of Cards, mm-hmm. uh, which is really the only thing place I think anyone really cares to know him. His character yeah. in Ant-Man was just and a Ant-Man. Wash. I haven't seen The Strain. That's his other... T- he was in The Strain, oh, the TV right. show. I don't know if he's... I'm, I'm guessing he's good in it. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think he was bad in Ant-Man. I think his performance was fine. It was more of his character that I wasn't that big of a fan of. Um, yeah. I mean then, yeah, Kyle Chandler, Jason Clark, Shea Wiggum. Yeah. All good. All phenomenal people. And yeah, I mean, you got Gosling in there already. That, that in itself, phenomenal. And then everyone else around him. Perfect. Small cast, mm-hmm. which makes me think, is this movie going to be just about them on the approach to the moon? Is it going to be, that kind of discovery for the first time? I don't know. Time? I mean, it's supposed to be like a Neil Armstrong biopic, like just in kind of researching, like I know Bernthal's character was only on like Apollo 9 and 15. Um, then, I mean, Armstrong's obviously on a ton of different Apollo missions, but that's, I don't know how much those paths went across or how long the story's going to go for. Um, I'm just interested to see kind of how Chazelle takes on a non-musical, I'm guessing, unless yeah. he makes some very different choices with a Neil Armstrong biopic <laughs> that I'm expecting him to do. Um, but I mean, with this cast assemble with his past efforts, I'd really, I really, I think I'd said it before, but I mean, this movie is going to be one that is going to be near the top of my list come 2018 just because mm-hmm. of Chazelle's track record and the track record of most of these guys. I mean, even Kyle Chandler, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Chandler. Yeah. And I mean, Jason Clark was, Jason Clark's always good, especially in um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's very solid. And then Shea Wiggum's and, He's always good in whatever he does. So, uh, I mean, with this cast, with this director, with a legendary person like Neil Armstrong and the stories that they can tell with it, I mean, this is as early 2018 Oscars, I think, written all over it. Yeah, and then Claire Foy, too. It was a per- perfect pickup as well. So, all right, cool. Yeah, so uh, moving on to Sony's Spider-Man-less universe that they're developing outside of the MCU because... They need more properties, apparently. Uh, Jeff Snyder said on Meet the Movie Press this week that Sony is actively developing a Nightwatch film for this Spider-Verse. Uh, script is reportedly being written by Now You See Me scribe Edward Recourt. And in addition to this, uh, Snyder says that they are eyeing Spike Lee to direct should the project actually get off the ground. But he says that part of the story is much more unlikely than the other aspects he knows Nightwatch is a movie they're developing he knows Edward Recourt is working on a script but the Spike Lee thing is very much just a wishful thinking at this point I believe what's you arguably what's Spike Lee's best film um I think for a lot of people it's um he got game I mean I I have not seen a lot of Spike Lee's movies honestly but yeah he got games great I mean you have Ray Allen in there I mean it's awesome but it's also a movie about legacy mm-hmm. and about building your own path mm-hmm. and that's what we see right yeah if spike lee were to pick up Nightwatch, and they do it with 
all the elements of that is Nightwatch because it stars Stephen Trench, Kevin Trench. Uh, Kevin Trench, yeah. Kevin Trench. And the crazy thing about him is that he finds his dead self. Yeah, future self dead in an alley uh, because he was he was killed fighting terrorists. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he decides to like find out who's this masked vigilante. He takes off the mask. It's himself from the future or whatever. And yeah. then he takes the costume and becomes Nightwatch because obviously if you see your future self being a superhero, right. you're probably like, well, I guess I have to do this now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, he's also, he's a black uh, man. So obviously this would be a further way for um, Sony to add diversity to this Spider-Verse. I mean, they have the big name guy with Tom Hardy and a fan favorite in Venom. Mm-hmm. And they have a two female superhero led film in silver and black. And now this, I mean, they're, they're definitely filling out this universe. Um, I don't know if I necessarily am bored for it still. I don't think I've ever needed a Nightwatch movie, and I probably never will. If this movie doesn't happen, mm-hmm. I'll probably be fine. But I like Now You See Me. If Spike Lee directs this movie and they get, I don't even know who to star in it. I mean, there there's obviously potential for it, but sure. um, it Nightwatch is definitely not a character that, that screams to me, oh, I need a standalone movie. But <laughs> then course. again... There's a lot of different elements that can play with here. Yeah, I mean, like, we didn't know we needed the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 either. Sure. Uh, but Justin Diller directed the Slight movie. Mm-hmm. Did you see it? I've not seen it yet. Okay, it's good. And I, th- I feel like this could be a step up. I mean, like, if Spike Lee doesn't go, uh-huh. I think he could very well step into the role. You want to see him pair back up with Jacob Lattimore? I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be. That would be very good. Yeah, absolutely. I would not. Be, I want to be opposed to that. Even uh-huh. though I haven't seen the movie, but it's, yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very much like a grounded superhero movie. Yeah. With I mean, it look, it looks super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially because it just it all happens like in a five or six block radius, mm-hmm. so you never get the feeling of like, oh, this is this is going sideways. It's not. Right. It's all just playing out in front of you. So. Uh, I don't know. I'd be, I, I think it could be cool, especially if, you know, they just, they embrace what that character is mm-hmm. completely without trying to like paint it into a trilogy or uh whatever the case. Yeah. I just, I just don't, I don't know Nightwatch very well. So I don't know if he has like an arch enemy or whatever, but beats me. I mean, I just don't know what you would do with this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know Nightwatch can has cloaking abilities, but I'm not really sure what else ab- other than that, that he actually can do. So, Unless it's just more of kind of like a, a stealth mission or it's... I mean, I, obviously, I think Sony's going for lower budget uh, films. So that way, even though I think Nightwatch would be a risky project because it doesn't have that name recognition, if it has a $50 million budget or less, then you'll probably make that back uh, worldwide at the end of the day. So it's it's not the worst idea I've heard, but... I mean, I'd rather them just like, I know beforehand you were talking like, man, how come they just don't do a Prowler movie if they want, you know, a black superhero, but. Or, well, yeah, just a well-known character. Cause I thought right. utilize uh, Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, you know, what, what's the case, but. But he, he's MCU. This isn't as of right yes. now. So. so they have to build off of what they haven't mm-hmm. tossed back into the. The Marvel pot, if you will. Yes. So, I mean, if you are a huge Nightwatch fan and you were like, oh, I can't wait to see him team up or go against Tom Holland Spider-Man, this would seemingly negate that because Marvel's not, Marvel said our approach is to not reuse characters that people have already seen. And, and so I think that means Venom, Black Cat, Silver Sable, 
uh, Nightwatch, any of those other characters that are included in any of these other Spider-Man spinoffs <laughs> are crossed off the potential MCU list ah. for at least a couple of years because then we would have like a Warner Brothers Joker situation on our hands. And I mean, that'll get just confusing. Aye, so, aye, aye. Uh, but we'll get to Joker in a second. Uh, before that, we want to talk about X-Men Dark Phoenix being grounded and not too intergalactic. According to director Simon Kinberg, he told Total Film that, quote, we must find a way to ground it so it's not too intergalactic. Um, personally, the problem is the Dark Phoenix story is a very cosmic-based one, and the fact that you have a villain in Lalandra, the empress of the Shi'ar Empire, an alien race, um, I don't know how you ground that too much <laughs> and not make it intergalactic. Yeah. Um, especially because like, if you're getting Jessica Chastain in that role, I want to see her be a big, crazy like space villain. Like mm-hmm. That sounds cool. And now I just feel like it's going to be Apocalypse 2.0. But this one takes place on the moon Pot- or somewhere. I, I mean, potentially. But if they're grounding it and don't want it to be too intergalactic, I feel like they'll just keep the element of the story where Jean Grey as... The, the Phoenix Force, like she goes into space, accidentally destroys a bunch of the Shi'ar ships, and that's what ultimately brings on this war. But I feel like they'll just bring the war to Earth instead of like the X-Men going to intervene there. So go War of the Worlds route. Maybe. Have an alien invasion taking place, yeah. and that's where our X-Men finally step out of the shadows that they've been in, and bam They take their playful place for the 21st century. And whatever else, the Days of Future Past storyline reboot right. takes them into whatever else is going on. The Deadpool Logan series or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. But I, I, that, could, that couldn't be that bad. But yeah, yeah, like you said, though, it does sort of feel like depending on how big they get with this, we get a, another like apocalypse yeah. film where, oh, great. The world's about to end again. I mean, maybe if they like limit it to like New York City or somewhere where the X Men hang out. I don't know what city they. That just doesn't. I mean, at that point, like, what? I don't get why an alien invasion would happen. Like, let's just get this one city, unless like they're like, oh, this is where Jean Grey went. She went to X Mansion. We want to destroy X Mansion. Mm -hmm. It's already been shown. X Mansion can be pretty easily destroyed and rebuilt uh, and, (laughs) and rebuilt using. Psychic powers that don't require you to put like nails or mm-hmm. cement or anything, and you can just put wood on top of each other. It'll it'll, so it'll stay. Um, oh, so yikes. yeah, I think the thing that just concerns me about it the most is obviously I'm poking fun at Apocalypse to a degree, um, but I just thought that this was going to be the X Men's chance to do something very different, go into space, do a Guardians slash Thor type movie, mm-hmm. and instead it just sounds like we're gonna get the same movie we've seen before just with a female villain instead of what we've had before. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely, they're afraid of taking chances. Yes. That's the best thing to say about this X-Men, this new. Is it also the worst thing to say? (laughs) No, it's not the worst thing to say, but you know, I mean like days of future past was out there. Like that was, that was a risk. They took it paid off. They have, they have taken, I mean like Deadpool and Logan, both risks. Absolutely. And you've banged on those. But why would you say, okay, let, let's not learn anything from those and just turn everything back a notch. But then at the same time, green light Josh Boone's New Mutants 
and let that take place like in a horror route. Right. Uh, I don't understand the strategy. It's almost like they want X-Men cherry and classic. (laughs) It it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. uh, Another thing that doesn't make sense is this Joker movie. So we we didn't really get that much time to talk about it last week because of time constraints. So, but thankfully we have another Joker story to talk about. So we can kind of go a little bit more in depth on our thoughts on a Joker origin story. If you missed the news last week, it is being uh, directed by Todd Phillips, and he is also co-writing a script uh, with 8 Miles Scott Silver. And then it is potentially going to be produced by Martin Scorsese, set in like a 1980s Gotham. Um, it's going to be an origin story for the Joker. And now we have news, courtesy of The Hollywood Reporter, that uh, the hope from Warner Brothers is that Leonardo DiCaprio will be the one to play the Joker. Um, The contingency here is that they're really banking on Scorsese's deal closing to produce this film. And then if they have him on board and they think they can actually lure Leo to join a comic book franchise, well, I don't even think it'll be a franchise. I think it'd be a standalone movie. Um, So do you think that this will happen? I think getting DiCaprio is near next to impossible with Scorsese. So I don't see if they don't close the Scorsese deal, how it's even in the realm of reality at this point. Yeah. I mean, the THR report was like, yeah, you know, we've heard that Warner brothers wants Leo, but it's probably not going to happen, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) just in case it does, let's throw this out there. Um, So yeah, I don't think this is going to happen um, because Leo has been very cagey about joining franchise. I mean, he, was up to uh, play Anakin in the prequels. He was um, he was going to be like Spider Man, I think. Uh, our discussions to do that, like he he has continued to stay away from franchises because if he really wanted to, he could lead any franchise he wants because Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. So I don't think it's going to happen with or without Scorsese attached because he's at this point he's you know he's doing those Oscar type movies like Revenant mm-hmm. um, like Wolf of Wall Street you know, yeah. he's doing those sort of things and I don't see why he would take time out to do a Joker origin movie that most people don't even want in the first place yeah, exactly and then he'd have to follow up Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson and everybody else that's come before him and I just I don't I don't see the appeal if I was Leo it's it's something to say though that the people that we the last two people that have played Joker I don't know, <laughs> two of the last three people that have played Joker have been phenomenal actors in their own right, mm-hmm. tackling one of the most difficult, not one well, of I the mean, more difficult I mean, people Leto's a, Leto's on screen. Leto's a good actor. He's like, a good actor, but arguably his Joker isn't memorable. Well, sure, yeah. Other than being Leto's Joker. Yeah. So if he's he he's memorable well. for being not the best. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Yeah, that, that's, that's a fair statement. So if... If DiCaprio were to do this, it would have to be Scorsese in this whatever this script is, an eighties if it's if it's really an eighties Joker origin film, or if it's something else where it's exploring Joker's multiple backstories. Mm-hmm. Like would that that would be a fun twist. That would be. And DiCaprio's playing the current version of him mm-hmm. or the modern day one. That could be something else, especially if you can grab three or four 20 something actors and make them play out the multiple versions or timelines mm-hmm. that we see Joker, like try to tell people that's like how he came about. Yeah. That could be something. Then you get a static complete Joker with the Caprio's acting abilities. 
that could be something to think about. But I just don't see Scorsese or DiCaprio saying, yes, that's what we need to do. That's mm-hmm. what I need to follow up my Oscar win from right. The Revenant with. Uh, no. Okay, but if it was announced that Leo was actually in talks, mm-hmm. do you think this? Do you think it should happen? Do you think Leo being the Joker is would be a good move for the movie? I mean, we kind of made it clear that for him, it's probably not the best move to make. I think there's other better options out there for him. But if it was announced tomorrow that Leonardo DiCaprio is going to play the Joker. I wouldn't be totally against it other than the fact that it's supposed to be an origin story starring a 20-year-old something Joker, yeah, right. which Leo doesn't fit that description of. So how much of an origin story can you really tell unless you're like, yeah, well, he was just a regular dude for 40 mm-hmm. years and now he's the Joker. Yeah. That that kind of... Like, then, then what's the point? <laughs> it's, well, it would be my reaction to the... The Han Solo movie. Mm-hmm. I don't need a young Han Solo movie, but oh, you just picked up Alan Einreich, who I think is terrific. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you also got Phil Lord and Chris Miller to do this movie? At one point? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you got me on board for this. So if you say, we're going to do a Joker origin movie with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me see. Let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm. That, and then that's my gut reaction. Um, but anything, you, anything outside of that's just kind of like... Why even make a pass at it? Yeah, I mean, it, even though Scorsese's not directing it, he is just producing. So right. who knows how hands-on he'd actually be, or if if this report is true and that they really do want Leo, is his producing title really just a way that okay, we'll throw Scorsese a couple million, so we have a better chance of landing Leo. And mm-hmm. then if Leo doesn't do it, then they could always be like, yeah, you know, we don't need to produce any more Scorsese. Like, <laughs> right. just, you know, do whatever. Um, so yeah. Uh, what do you think, because we don't really have a chance to get into it that much, because this is a non-DCEU movie, this is a new banner, do you do you like this idea of WB doing these non-DCEU movies with different takes where they could have Leo play a Joker? They could have, um, like I know Lakeith Stanfield has already started to campaign to play the Joker in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I think he'd be a great choice. Oh, uh, yeah, he'd be all right. I mean, you could, you could go, I mean, he's black, you could go female you could go do anything you want to do um obviously try to pitch the positive um, angles for this idea last week but do you have any other thoughts on it since we didn't have that much time last week uh yeah i mean just in the terms of the whole idea that mm-hmm. warner brothers is exploring i like it because it there are so many good one-hit stories that warner brothers has got on their hands um you could do red Red Sun is that the mm-hmm. if Superman had landed in the Soviet Union? Yep. Yeah, Red Sun and you or um gosh I can't even think of them on the top of my head anymore. <laughs> but you could you could blow up your movie franchises with just thousand one hit titles. Mm-hmm. Then do a cr- infinite crisis on infinite earth film or film you know and just lace everything together and start <laughs> all over. Uh, I, it's you you have a you have a character with flash that fans know for screwing up timelines and you know rearranging the entire planet that's what we talk about with flashpoint and make fun of all yes. the time uh so yeah i mean you know i go for it worst case you just hit the reset button because yeah you, ha- you have timeless characters um and you know you you haven't tech- really put the time and effort into creating a long-running franchise mm-hmm. 
like we've seen on the other side of the table. So you've got nothing to lose and billions to gain. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So uh, that's it for Joker, which brings us to Star Wars. Before we get to our big question of the week, which is Star Wars related, uh, there was a casting addition made to Han Solo. And again, this ties into a story that we briefly had any time to cover last week, that Michael K. Williams has dropped out of Han Solo due to scheduling conflicts because of the reshoots and the films mm-hmm. he's already um, previously attached to. And this week, director Ron Howard revealed that Paul Bettany has joined the cast of Han Solo. Um, this was reported at first to be a change that was being made because Bettany was going to was replacing Michael K. Williams. Uh, that came from Slash Film. But Deadline has since said that that is not the case and that Bettany is playing a different human character. Um, in comparison to Williams, who was going to be a partially CG creation because he was described as being a half-human, half-animal um, sort of character. So uh, I think this continues to show, like we briefly discussed last week, that Ron Howard is making some pretty significant changes to this film as from what Phil Lord and Chris Miller did. Um, but are you on board with Bettany? Are you okay with Bettany joining this movie? Everyone is okay with Bettany. Bettany is Bettany is a soothing voice for for millions of people not just because he played Jarvis in Vision but you know he just he's I hate to say this but he's so bland that, <laughs> that's true that, he's mean, a very pale man <laughs> yeah well not, not just like that I know I know, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> he's just he's he's mellow and he can do his job so well like I was actually blown away because I hadn't seen Bettany ever out of costume. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him. I'm like, oh, man, that's albino guy from uh, the uh, Da Vinci Code films. Yeah. And, he, and he was also in that, um, that like, that, what was it? It's not Angels and Demons. It's, like, the one that's, like, kind of like that, or like, based on a diner where he plays, like, an angel. Oh, Legion or Legacy. Uh, or, uh, it's I want to say it's Legion. I think it is Legion. Yeah. Because like some like woman is pregnant and mm-hmm. the demons of hell are after her yeah. or something like that. Very yeah. weird movie, but I always thought like after I watched Da Vinci Code, I was like, wait, is Legion part yeah. of this same? <laughs> Interesting. It's not, but okay. that was a thought I had at one point. That is such an obscure movie too. Oh, okay. But yes, he, he'll be fine. It sucks that Kay Williams is out and it sucks that his character is being completely altered because... I want to know what it was. Mm-hmm. Half animal, half human guy that uh, presumably for Lord and Chris Miller altered, you know, inexplicably and they had to <laughs> have extensive work done on him. Uh, so it's disappointing, uh, especially because Michael K. Williams was that last guy that mm-hmm. Bettany's new character is going to take the role of. So, I mean, am I over, am I overstating this or is this just fine for you too? It doesn't, it didn't, I was, kind of i was surprised obviously because it's it's paul bettany and at this point in the game it's always weird to have new additions to the cast but he's worked with ron howard before on da vinci code and uh beautiful mind so they are are they're obviously already familiar with one another and they know how to work together so if i mean howard is obviously in a pinch to find somebody to fill this role or a similar type of role um so i think bettany is a, a good choice for it but yeah i think it i think it does you know it's it's sad that it's not michael k williams at the end of the day because i was looking forward to seeing him 
take on this project, especially when they kind of were like, oh, yeah, he's a half human, half animal. I'm yeah. like, that sounds interesting. Now they're like, oh, no, Bettany's just a regular human. I'm like, oh, that's mm-hmm. now you just lost. I think that's the Phil Lord versus Ron Howard approach or Phil Lord and Chris Miller version versus the Ron Howard. Phil Lord and Chris Miller was like, let's go for this crazy zany character. Yeah. And now Howard's like, well, uh, I don't have time to do that or something. So let's just play it safe. Let's just have right. Bettany show up in a suit and be some character that like is maybe based on the outer rim. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's, it, it's it's disappointing to a certain degree, but also if they were looking for somebody, Bettany is a good choice. Yeah. And the hilarious part, too, is like when you said like the difference between Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the Howard's introduction of Bettany was just so... 50 year old dad <laughs> right. taking like it's like taking a selfie with the phone like the head of the camera is a little bit off balance uh-huh. so you don't get all of ron howard's face and bettany's in the photo and it's just <laughs> it's just it was the ultimate personification of the differences in um production you know management that mm-hmm. we're getting from this movie so uh, yeah I, I, I. yeah um bef- before we move off of han solo uh because of this change and also we've kind of seen We've heard that he is making obviously big tonal changes um, to the film because of what Phil Lord and Chris Miller shot before. Mm-hmm. They've been reshooting the film for uh, I don't know six weeks at least, yeah. probably. Um, do you think that when this movie comes out, is it going to be directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller? Or is it going to be directed by Ron Howard? I think it's going to be impossible just because of the uh, director's guild rules mm-hmm. to get Phil Lord and Chris Miller's name off of this because yeah. they were extensively a part of pre-production and uh, everything else that went into place. And if 40, 50% of this movie ends up getting reshot or shifted or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever the case is, despite how long post is too, I don't see how you're able to take their name off the movie because they had started. Yeah. The one thing I I could I don't know all the in and outs of the DGA and everything, but if Filler and Chris Miller, um, if they end up seeing like a cut of this movie at some point, mm-hmm. because I could see Lucasfilm being like, "Hey, this was at one point your thing. We just want to show it to you um, out of you know respect or whatever." And then they see it, and they're like, "This isn't our movie at all." I or even if they don't see that a cut, I yeah. could see them requesting this isn't our movie. We don't want the director's credit. And then I don't know if, I don't know if they have to go through legal loopholes to make that possible, or if they can just simply say, we don't want the credit yeah. because it's not our movie. And then it's much easier for Ron Howard, obviously to get those credits. So yeah, I mean, it'll either have the movies either going to have three directors or it'll have one director mm-hmm. because like, yeah, that was a really good point. If Phil, number one, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are not going to ever see a cut of this movie. Yeah. I mean, when you was when you listen to Edgar Wright talk about his separation from Ant Man, he's like, "I'll never watch that movie." Yeah, he said he, uh, he yeah, that was a really polite way of putting it. He think he he, go, he talks a little bit more about it. It's like saying it was like watching your ex girlfriend, yeah. you know, with somebody else. <laughs> and you know, if that's if that's even close to the feeling of you know losing a project that you were invested more than twelve months of your life into. Well, right. I mean, I can't imagine. Wright was on there for yeah, eight years or whatever. So, right. uh, and and because of the circumstances around him leaving and then um, Peyton rejoining, they did end up using a lot of the elements that Wright had already brought to the table. So I can see why they're like, okay, they kind of made my movie, but also they didn't. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to see this. So I could see 
Phil and Chris Miller would be doing the same thing where they didn't leave the project. They were fired. But at the same point, you know, Ant-Man wasn't, Edgar Wright never directed any scenes for Ant-Man. So he, it's impossible for him to get those directing yes. credits. And I don't even think he was credited as, as a producer or no, anything he, on it. He had, he had no connections to the project because he wasn't part of it once production began. But since Florida and Chris Miller were in there for such a long time, I th- maybe they'll end up as producers. But it'd be like if you know I wrote in if I wrote an entire article or I wrote sixty percent of an article, and then my editor was like, "Oh, we got to change all this." It's like well, that's not my article. Yeah, I don't want like, I don't want my name on that. Not because it's bad, mm-hmm. but it's just not mine. Yeah. So I think I think that's a a very possible scenario that's going to play out for Han Solo. Yeah, I, th- I think that was a really good take. So uh, that leads us to our big question, which is again, Star Wars related. And it builds off of our conversation that we had two weeks ago when it was announced that Obi-Wan is in fact getting a standalone movie um, because uh, Stephen Daldry is currently in talks to direct one. Um, and that just kind of brought up the question of, is this really, you know, is Lucasfilm making the right choices with these standalones? Uh, we have seen so far Rogue One. Mm-hmm. We are getting Han Solo next year. And then presumably it'll be Obi-Wan in, uh, what'll it be, 2020? Yeah. Um, but then we also know that they're supposedly developing Jabba the Hutt, Boba Fett, and Yoda um, ideas. And then we heard a rumor a while back that they're doing a Lost Stars-esque style film yeah. um, about just kind of a romantic tale. And mm-hmm. that's so far been the anthology that gets me most excited because it's an original tale. Um, and that just kind of wanted to, we just wanted to bring it up and discuss even further that I think Lucasfilm is playing it very safe with these standalones. Um, I, Rogue One was obviously based around the events of the Death Star uh, it had Darth Vader. It had very iconic parts of Star Wars lore in it. Yes. Even though it did star, what, five or six or seven n- new main characters. Uh, yeah, the minimum. Yeah. Right. But if you look at Han Solo, it's starring Han Solo, Chewie, and Lando. Mm-hmm. The inclusions of Woody and Amelia Clark are going to be fun. They're going to be cool. The inclusion of Bettany is going to be co- is going to be cool as well. But at the end of the day, I don't expect to get, you know, spinoffs for those characters. Right. Um, I think if we're getting more from that time period and this more out of the characters that we meet in Han Solo, it'll be more Han Solo adventures. Mm-hmm. It'll be a Lando standalone. It'll yes. be something like that, not an Amelia Clark movie or whatever. Um, and then, you know, Obi-Wan, I'm sure there's going to be supporting characters in Obi-Wan, but it's going to be an Obi-Wan movie that maybe we meet a couple people, but again, I don't think we're going to get that invested in those people and figure out everything else about their lore. And that's the, that's the biggest criticism I have about this approach so far is that they are just honing in on a couple or not a couple, but multiple characters that fans already know Mm -hmm. and not showing the creativity that they have at their disposal to, do literally anything they want, introduce fans to brand new characters and have even more freedom with the stories they would tell because they're not, you know, say, okay, well, well now in Obi-Wan, we can't call him Obi-Wan because they say in a new hope, that, Oh, I haven't heard that name in a long time. You know, like they, they have, they have, they have to follow strict guidelines so they don't, you know, go against continuity. But if, sure. if they do 
any other movie starring any person. <laughs> they could do whatever they want and still maybe tie in some of those same elements and make hints towards the Empire, to Vader, to the Death Star, to whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not the central driving force. So really, I think if I have to answer the question, is Lucasfilm making the right choice with these standalones? I say they're making the safe choice. Yeah. But one that if the quote unquote right choice for me, it would be a no because I want to see them just expand the universe further and not continue to just rehash characters that we've seen before and reuse them and do all this other other stuff. Yeah. Safe is spelled with a dollar sign. Right. Yeah. You write that. Okay. Because I mean, they're doing the, they're doing the right thing. If your bottom line is billion dollar per film. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially because you want to play the hits as much as you can. So everyone that loves that will show up and they'll bring their kids and the new fans and everybody can enjoy the movie. Newcomers to Star Wars can enjoy Rogue One because it had new characters Um, and there's this new life breathing into it. But also people who were fans of the original trilogy could show up and say, check it out. This is the origin story of the movies I love. How cool is that? And, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. So you're, you make you make a great point, though, because at the end of the day, Star Wars is space fantasy. It's not it's not the Iliad or it's not, you know, these ancient poems where we just want to know everything, every minuscule detail about our heroes. Mm. I think that ruins it. Um, I liked the King Arthur movie. It wasn't a good film like, or it wasn't a good blockbuster. How yeah. about that? But. I I enjoyed it. I liked the King Arthur, you know, kid from Londinium. I think it's like what the fictional London town's called. I have in no that idea. movie, yeah, it's not very. <laughs> I already memorable. forgot it. Sure, <laughs> but I like that. I like that rise up. But at the same time, Star Wars is literally billions of stars and galaxies, and yes, you can take those elements like you just said. Show the Empire elsewhere in the galaxy show the jedi elsewhere in the galaxy show the rebel alliance elsewhere in the galaxy let's see the underworld of coruscant let's see all these things where it's memorable Mm -hmm. it's familiar but it's a twist and that's what i would really like to see um rogue one was familiar with a twist Mm -hmm. george luke george lucas of all people who hated episode seven said rogue one was one of the better star wars films that he'd seen and the man's well granted he did six of them so (laughs) that's not really saying anything because he had two to choose from (laughs) but different episode seven was episode four in in, in a new package yes with lots of fun Mm -hmm. um i don't think we'll have to worry about that going forward but if you're going to stay close to home with characters with storytelling elements then we're gonna we're gonna lose out because Mm -hmm. the reason i think i smacked marvel once or twice and may do so again in the future is (laughs) that at a certain point your origin films are gonna get a little bit dull Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why i I think i enjoyed spider-man so much more as a first standalone film for the guy was because we didn't have to deal with with an origin story we got right to the fun Mm -hmm. stuff um so let's do that let's not bother with you know filling out the lives of our of our favorite heroes i want to see an obi-wan ian mcgregor movie Mm -hmm. but i just want it to be an action film i want it to be something comes up on tatooine that he's got to deal with and maybe he can cross paths with jabba or boba fett 
or you know, most likely. Why does Obi Wan think that most likely is the greatest? Or why, I can't think of the direct quote, but a hive of scum and villainy. Mm-hmm. You know, why does he think that? Let's go, let's go find out. You yeah. know, and let's we can do all that, but Star Wars needs to be shown to be as big as it says to be. Mm-hmm. Let's not let's stop hiding. As a, he's a huge fan, let's stop hiding behind books and comics to tell the more zany and wacky and colorful mm-hmm. stories that the brilliant writing staff uh, Lucas Arts can come up with. So, yeah, because not just Lucas Film, not so much Lucas Arts. Yeah, because like I have no doubt that if you no, know, if Lost Stars, the idea would have been crafted into a movie instead of a book. Mm-hmm. Like easily a billion. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that would be that'd be an, that'd be a great tale that has familiar faces and elements to Star Wars fans, which you have to do. Yes, I you can't make a Star Wars movie devoid of Jedi or the Empire or lightsabers or anything because it, you still have to make it known that this is in the Star Wars world. It'd mm-hmm. be like if I mean, it's kind of like the criticism that the MCU gets is like, all right. Daredevil's supposedly in the MCU, but they don't really ever mention the fact that aliens have invaded their, their right. city two years ago. Like, exactly. you know, it's it's stuff like that where, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that Lucasfilm can't do stories that are based on characters that we already know. Because, yeah, I want to see the Obi-Wan movie. Han Solo, I'm not as interested in now because Fuller and Chris Miller are off mm-hmm. of it, but there's still elements you can play with. The thing that I am worried about is the fact that they are only doing those sorts of movies. If they would adapt, like Marvel for their schedule has always been, um, since they've expanded three movies a year, it's been two films that are recurring franchises based on characters you've already seen, and then one new franchise. That's how they've always done it. So this year it was Guardians, sequel, Homecoming, is a new franchise based on a character that pre audience has already met yep. in civil war. And then Thor is obviously going to be the third film in that franchise. Why can't star Wars do a similar thing where they did rogue one based on original characters? Fine. But the big selling point of that movie is you see the death star in the trailer. Yep. You see Darth Vader briefly. And the biggest talking point of that movie for 90% of the audience is Wow, that ending scene with Vader was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Or, man, I didn't, I didn't like Krennic's CG-ness. Or not Krennic. Um, Tarkin's. Tarkin's, yeah. Right. Or, wow, that was so cool that a young CGI Leia showed up. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the elements that people are talking about more, more so than, oh, I really loved, you know, Baze Malbus. I really loved um, K2SO, which people did, but sure. it's not, it's, those aren't the standout moments. Um, and I, I would have liked to see them, you know, if, if they're, you know, saying, okay, we have we have to do a Han Solo movie because we know it's going to make a billion. But if we know that's going to make a billion, let's take a risk on just I don't know, even like doing an Ahsoka movie, which isn't a quote unquote new idea because yeah. she is exists in the canon. But for moviegoers who don't watch Rebels, Clone Wars, read the comics, read the books, she would be a new character that then once it's revealed that oh this was Anakin's. Padawan like mm-hmm. they have all this history and relationship but I can go watch seven seasons of a show to find all that out and then go to Rebels and see them face off 
that's an idea I think that they should absolutely explore because she, yeah, she's not a new character, but she is for most people. And it's not, there's still those gaps in her story where between Clone Wars and Rebels, there's, that's a lot of history that you can play with. And Mm -hmm. she would have the freedom to go to any planet, meet any person because she's not one of those main original trilogy characters or somebody that's tied into the main events that well. So she could really do whatever she wanted. And then the year after that, then you can do Obi-Wan and then you can do another new character and then you could do that familiar face. That's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what I want to see. I like you said safe with a dollar sign. Absolutely. Like that is, that is absolutely their approach. And if they're going to play it safe with a dollar sign, then use that safeness to exploit new ideas that could then one day become safe with a dollar sign. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And you know, I just don't want Star Wars, the episode four to me, anytime I watch it, no matter when I watch it, I've seen it countless times now, it never stops invoking wonder in me. When you see Luke Skywalker staring at those twin sons, mm-hmm. you, 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 you feel that, it's familiar because you yourself watch the sunset, but then you see two of them. You're like, no, this isn't, this isn't my world. Then you see the droids and everything fills around you. And you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm in this universe. I want to be there. And I want to see those movies do that again and again with characters that we can meet, learn about, somewhat try to identify with, and then get thrust into whatever part of star Wars we're in. Cause I think that's where it lives and breathes um, is just, showing us all of the possibilities. You know, I have people, I have I may have made two people in college so far. They're just like, they like, they love Rogue One, but the other favorite parts though, they're Riz Ahmed and Diego Luna, two newcomers to the franchise, totally not connected in any way to the film, mm-hmm. but people met them, loved them, and there we go. And I just, I want to see that happening, you know, over and over and over again um, as much as possible versus... Jabba the Hutt is I I think I said this last week but I made a joke about just wait until uh, young Jabba the Hutt 3 and you know then sure enough the article pops up two days later and it's it's mind numbing to think that Jabba the Hutt is someone we want to see a movie focused around we want to see bounty hunters we Mm -hmm. want to see Boba Fett uh, maybe show up and kick some butt we want to see him really kick butt because we've never seen that before Mm that would be great for a returning fan but let's also meet a young bounty hunter trying to make his way on Tatooine or Mos Eisley Mm -hmm. and maybe he bumps into Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan and you know has a showdown with him how cool would that be be pretty cool absolutely I just yeah you you summed it up perfectly at the top though they're they're doing the right safe thing with a dollar sign but if you want the, if you don't want people to get fatigued by your films, then you're going to have to try to show us more beginnings than middles and endings for characters. Mm-hmm. Or just, yeah, or just yeah, you know, having you don't I don't even think you have to show the beginnings because I mean they're showing I think the beginning with Han Solo there. That's yeah, okay, that's true. Like just just doing anything new with any character just like i mean there's not really any a lot of those like first in first installments of a franchise it's it it is an origin story but if you do like like why why can't they do a raiders 
of the Lost Ark style Star Wars movie where you just start and you're with mm-hmm. whoever it is on an adventure, a fully formed bounty hunter, or then yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter where they came from at that point. It doesn't matter anything else. You're just like, oh, I'm in this adventure and I'm with this character because mm-hmm. they're likable and they're cool. You don't have to do all this setup. You don't have to tell the origin or um, you know go yeah. back in time to do all this stuff. Grab Firefly or Serendipity mm-hmm. and just put it in Star Wars. Yeah, that and that would be awesome. I just a full, vivid world with people that have got personalities and histories that you know about if you watch the show, mm-hmm. but you can just jump right in with. And you know, I don't, you know, laugh at and kind of be like, oh, that must be how he is all the time. In your head, you just create those adventures mm-hmm. and so forth. And yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a perfect example. You know, it's a good tie back into uh, Harrison Ford <laughs> right, yeah. and Han Solo. But that's that's a really good way to say it. So bef- when we've talked about the Star Wars feature on, bef- before on previous episodes and everything, um, it's you've always been of the opinion and I, I I'm going more in your direction where after episode nine, they will take a break from the episodic movies for yeah. some amount of time. I think we'd, we would probably differ on how long of a gap that would be. Um, but I do think that, you know, this after nine, we're not going to see episode 10, two years later, they're going to, there's going to be a gap, but if episode nine comes on 2019, and then it's 2020 Obi-Wan, 2021 Boba Fett, 2022 Yoda, mm-hmm. 2023 Jabba uh, the Hutt, et cetera, et cetera, Lando movie, um, a Qui-Gon movie, a Darth Maul origin movie, like another Darth Vader movie. Like, would those movies be enough to keep the Star Wars franchise alive bef- between 9 and 10 in the or I know they'd be enough to keep them alive because people would always keep going to see a Star Wars movie, but would it be the the best it, way to do it? Can it cap can it still captivate your audience without mm-hmm. what, letting go to the fatigue? Right. Are, yeah, are you with eye rolls? Uh, right. Because would would those ideas eventually be like, all right, it's just you know it's, We get it. it. Yeah, it, we get it. I'm getting another origin story based on a character I already have met before. Mm-hmm. I don't need this anymore. We're slogging along with no end. In yeah, or you're just you're just diluting the specialness of Star Wars yeah. by just throwing things against the wall and being like, "Well, we don't have a, any original ideas, so you get an origin movie and you get an origin movie yeah. and you get an origin movie." Like, yeah, I no that that wouldn't do it. I mean, eventually, by the time you get to Job of the Hut, you're bringing in six hundred million dollars of film. Mm-hmm. If you, if you want to stabilize, if you want to be a billion per movie. When you get to the end of this episodic um, run, you have to either have a great, fresh idea coming out every year, mm-hmm. or you have to do a movie every two years. Yeah. And so there's a gap year until you, you know, 10 years has passed. It's 2029, 20, 2030. 20, and that's when you give it a go with another um, run for mm-hmm. the Skywalker saga or whatever, you know, they have cooked up uh, beyond whatever George envisioned. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's where I'm just, Kathleen Kennedy confuses me. Mm -hmm. That's where I, I can't really get a read on her or Bob Iger when it comes to the franchise. They always say we have plans out till we're going to make stars movies until we can't. Right. So forever. Mm -hmm. 
But what does that mean? What kinds of movies you're going to be making? Because like I said two weeks ago, I feel like they are scared to do anything that different. They want to they're they want to do stuff that still feels like Star Wars. Oh, Han Solo didn't, or Rogue One didn't feel like Star Wars. Han Solo didn't feel like wasn't Star Wars enough. Yeah, isn't that the point of these spinoffs to do things that are different? I want I don't want to see after Obi Wan. I don't want to see a Boba Fett standalone. I don't want to see a Jabba the Hutt standalone. I don't want to see a Yoda standalone. But I could you could find ways to bring each of those characters into different movies. Mm-hmm. You could have, if you wanted, if you really want Yoda back in movie theaters, do, Oh, I don't know. Knights of the old Republic trilogy with Yoda, either just starting his training or he has just joined the council or yeah, anything, but he could still be that piece that people who have watched any star Wars movie. Yeah. Outside of force awakens would know that's Yoda this all connects back to these other movies and you know that it's their it's their entry points yes. into this other time period and that is the future of, that should be the future of star wars so. spin alones is easter eggs mm-hmm. Yo, a young yoda movie no one really cares no but a movie about a kid finding his way through the jedi temple for the first time his training and then maybe an ultimate showdown right. think hogwarts with Star Wars, that, that's I heard that same comparison a couple of weeks ago when, when this Obi Wan news was going out. Yeah. It's like, why hasn't Star Wars done a Harry Potter style mm-hmm. franchise where you're literally just following a kid or a group of kids, yeah, go through Jedi training? Like that sounds like a great idea, absolutely. But they're not doing it because why? I I, I don't I wouldn't say no just yet, but it also provides a chance to you know explore and explore great elements that Lucas put out mm-hmm. in the original trilogy, but do them with the language of the original trilogy with the language that you're establishing in seven and eight yeah. uh, in rogue one. So, you know, Easter eggs are great. Let's, let's see things familiarity with twists, with new characters, with someone we can identify with. Uh, I, I really think that's what they need to do. Um, but if they want to go back to something episodic, I, eventually you you should just kick it to 2,000 years into the future and then just start a whole start new now. franchise. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, set in the Star Wars universe that leaves a long time ago and moves to a longer, longer time ago or whatever the case is. Right. Or I guess it would be, It'd be a, actually it. not as long ago right. <laughs> in a galaxy far away. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, um, but at this point, what, I mean, we obviously both want, you know, Knights of the Old Republic to, at one point in the near future, be kind of the the cornerstone of Star Wars in film, I think, where it's it's that movie that's coming out every other year, or that Harry Potter style film, mm-hmm. you know, but what are what do you think are the chances that one of those types of movies are announced or one of those types of franchises are announced before 2020 zero i think they do all all original characters or i mean or past characters okay before and we won't see we won't see the semblance of a franchise until these episodes are over because a, a jedi a jedi temple film mm-hmm. a jedi training film that's not just one movie. 
that's three. Right. That's four, depending on how well they do, depending mm-hmm. on who they cast um, and how they build up. They're not going to put that much effort into it until they absolutely have to. And <laughs> I know that that's cynical, but it's it's a money-making business and they want, they'll bank on films as much as possible before they can't. Right, but I mean, if there was, if they did a nice little pulp movie and it was received incredibly well and they're like, well, shoot, we need to have a sequel out in two years. Oh, wait, but we were already planning on doing Yoda that year. Okay, let's move to two films a year. Like, there's, there's no rule that, I know you're against that, but, mm-hmm. and to a certain degree, I like having one movie a year because then you get a savor, the build up, the fallout of a single movie before there's no cross promotion or any of that. So, but at the same time, you know, if, if I want Knights of the Little Pope to happen and Star Wars and, or, and Lucasfilm and Disney are still insisting, well, we have to do these original trilogy standalones, then, you know, find a way to make them work. Like, if if this is truly the path that they go down and they make, you know, they take 10 years off, let's say, between episode 9 and episode 10, and we have to wait till 2029 to see episode 10 and what's happened with Ray or Finn or Kylo or Poe or whoever's still around at the mm-hmm. end of episode 9. I don't want 10 straight years of here's standalone movies that here's Obi-Wan, here's Jabba, here's Yoda, here's Boba, here's, here's everybody that you've ever, ever met before each getting a standalone. I want to, I want to have something that can keep me interested yeah. for a longer amount of time than just cause if, cause let's say they do do the, the let's say they do a Jabba movie. I'm not going to be that excited for it. I will, I will go see it obviously sure. because it's star Wars, but mm-hmm. For a lot of people, they'll be like, eh, pass. I won't yeah. go to it. And then you're missing and then you're missing out on all of that hype for two years, and, potentially for some people. And I don't think we'll ever see a job of movie materialize. Yeah. I think there are everyone loves Star Wars. That is something to note. Mm-hmm. And I think every screenwriter in Hollywood has written a Star Wars script <laughs> and has submitted it to Lucasfilm. And I think whoever finds these is, you know, dumping them out. Or or perhaps maybe these are just fake scripts and they're getting leaked to people so they know who to trust. Because really, Java the Hutt, when you, right. when you in your in your heart of hearts, you know that's not true. And I I, do I don't know that because Star Wars movies are crafted with intention. Mm-hmm. Um, even the even Rogue One it needed reshot, but every part of that movie was built out and created from scratch. Uh, you know, building off existing elements, mm-hmm. but you know, everything was new. I suppose we didn't really have anything other than Yavin Four that mm-hmm. wasn't familiar. Um, moving to two movies, two films a year—that's a conveyor belt. You create a conveyor belt, and there's not as much reusable material by that by that point. I mean, Marvel films—you're living in the real world with Star Wars. You're coming up with a whole new language every time you need to explore something new or a whole new ecosystem. If you right. Will. But I mean, Marvel films, you have to, you literally have to make sure that your movie doesn't mess it up. You have to make sure your movie falls into a continuity where star Wars, they could do two films a year. And those two films in a single year 
don't have anything to do with one another. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter about the continuity of one or the other. I mean, it does to a certain degree that they don't like, oh yeah, Jedi's are all extinct. And then, you know, we take place in the same time as episode five. <laughs> yeah. That, that's not true. Okay. You just, you're, you're, you're making things, you're, you're making things more difficult at this point, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and that's why we didn't, we, we came across, I think you wrote up a story or someone wrote a story for screen rant this week about the embargo on star Wars films. Yeah. Well, it's not, I don't think it's just films in particular. It's that I didn't write it up. It was, um, um, Alex, um, over at screen rant. He did it, but basically it came out from a, a book Q and a because Claudia Gray's, uh, Leia novel, um, came out this past week because of force Friday. And she disclosed information that Lucasfilm is not allowing any stories to be told past episode six, and in that gap between six and seven, where there's 30 years of free reign you mm-hmm. could have with a trilogy for a new character or any, you can do whatever you want for 30 years. That's a, that's a lot of time in between, just like the gap between three and four. Um, and I, I think that those, that that restriction is mainly for comics and books at this point, because if Lucasfilm the studio wanted to make a movie in that time period, they would already know about it. And it, like you said, it, it takes a lot of time for movies to be made, whether it is with Lucasfilm or if it's in the, the Marvel machine, those movies are still being planned for five years before they hit theaters, you know? So at Lucasfilm Cardi have an idea of, okay, we want to do this movie that's in between six and seven. So we can't have any comics or anything come out in between those times because it could contradict what we want to do or, those comics could or we have some revelation coming in eight or nine that changes the way people think about the time between six and seven you know mm-hmm. like snoke's rise to power could be a huge play in those 30 i mean it has to be a huge play in those 30 years like what yeah. luke has been up to all of that stuff is are huge mysteries that i think once episode eight or nine whenever those details are revealed that's when we'll get books and comics and maybe movies eventually that go back into that time period and you know give fans that really want to know that sort of information the information that they're looking for this is a very good point and yeah. i think uh gosh darn it, i can't think of the author's name but we've gotten that the aftermath trilogy mm-hmm. and those have been licensed to you know fill out and provide easter eggs for all these upcoming films mm-hmm. too so it's not, I guess it's not fair to say it was a complete embargo, Yeah. but they are very tightly scripting mm-hmm. anything after six that right. comes out and provides any sort of view of what everyone's been up to since then. Yeah. Which I think makes sense just because of the potential reveals for seven, eight and nine. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I think that, you know, if you're looking at the original trilogy, you can't make the story group that's overseeing all these projects knows those events inside and out. And we've heard before that Lucasfilm doesn't really have like a grand plan, you know, in store, which is maybe why they're going to all these anthology films because it doesn't require that master plan where you can just kind of take it a film by film basis. If they don't have that master plan, then they, if they green light a comic in that time period and they establish that something happens, then like oh shoot well we were going to do this movie in 10 years and now we can't because this comic did something like you know yeah. it, i think it just helps them keep things a little tighter be, until they probably figure out what the long-term future of star wars is 
Yeah, I, I, that's a really good way to put it. They're fi- it's filler. Mm-hmm. It's good filler. Yeah. It's probably going to be great, uh, hopefully. I mean, Ron Howard's movie still out there. <laughs> but and I hope they settle on something with a beginning and an end that can take three films, that can fill six to seven years mm-hmm. of time without having to do one movie every year create something with momentum that can carry yes. yourself across to 10 years when it's time again to go episode for episode for episode because that just makes those episodes so much more special when you get to push them out there and when you get a Star Wars film every year mm-hmm. there's something you're waiting on and there's something new for you familiar new familiar new and I just I really really hope there's something deep in the skunk works of LucasArts or LucasFilm, Disney, uh, or Hollywood in general mm-hmm. that is going to cater to that. Take us somewhere else. We're going to be sick of the Skywalkers by episode yeah. nine. Uh, I mean, for the most part. So let's see something new. Mm-hmm. And whether it's taking us across the galaxy to... um, Or, you know, whatever the case is. Or maybe just dialing us back to the Clone Wars and filling out a story or from there right. too. Uh, that's, that's what I would, that's what I would love to see happen. That's what I really hope happens. But again, like I said, Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy just confuse me yeah. every time they make a public statement. So at this point it's conjecture and I'm going to throw my hands up and <laughs> let Jesus take the weight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's clear that both of us just want to see some semblance of new material from Star Wars, and they're obviously doing that with the with the main saga films to a degree mm-hmm. because it's based on Rey and Finn and Poe and Kylo and all that stuff, but it also has very heavy ties to everything that's come before because it's part of the it's part of the saga. So if these if this Star Wars franchise is legitimately going to stick around forever. And be a yearly tradition that every now May, starting uh, next year, we get a Star Wars movie. Make it. They need to make them so that I want to. I have that burning desire to still see them every single year. Yeah, don't let it become. Oh, I would like to see that. I would like to see Jabba's origin story. Let's let it be. I want to know that story. Yeah. I want to know that character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but ultimately that's every good movie though, too. Right, yeah. So let's, let's hope that they realize that they can't skate by on the Star Wars name forever mm-hmm. with the goal being quality and money at the same time. Yes. So uh, I think that's all the time we have for our big question now. Um, before we sign off, we are going to be back again with a review next week. One that may cause us to float. We, it may <laughs> right yes, uh, yes i'm excited for it i'm terrified <laughs> the well that too um the movie is it of course stephen yes. king's uh just horrific novel um it looks like it's in great hands mm-hmm. and it looks like it's gonna be a kill it's we're getting back to 1980 spielberg films um that aren't afraid to be a little bit darker it's, it's like et but only this time E.T. is a killer clown. He's a killer clown that kidnaps children. <laughs> yes. Uh, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I think uh, 
like I said repeatedly, I'm not a horror movie guy in the slightest, but this one's kept my interest because mm-hmm. it it just looks it looks fun to a degree, but one that I know I'm gonna be jumping in my seat, probably screaming, uh, hopefully not too loud or in a girlish way or anything. But I yeah. mean, the it look it looks legitimately scary, and uh, but not in like a way that's gonna like haunt my dreams for the rest of eternity. Right. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but that's that's all we have for this episode. So if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, over iTunes, give us a five-star view with comments because that helps people find the show. And if you're listening, that means you enjoy it, I hope. And if you want other people to enjoy it, we obviously do. Um, just give us a review so other people can find us so we can continue to grow the fan base and the, the other listeners of the show because that's Ultimately, we do this because we just enjoy it. We like just discussing movies with one another and you know, hearing your guys' opinions as well. But if we can get more people to listen, that's obviously something that we would uh, very much appreciate. Amen. So um, during our time away, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by tweeting us at Friends of Film. We're just updates on the podcast, news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning to the Friends of Film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And be sure to return next week for our review of It. It.